podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. The Possession of Arnie Johnson, 1981. 1980s now. Damn it, I wish I could dig of this thing. It's driving me crazy. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go. I'm just going to be keep working on it. All right, forget it. All right, okay, we're back here. Okay, welcome back to another episode of 1980s now. A weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name is Will, and joining me as always are my friends and my co-host Bray and Kat. Hi guys. <laughs> What's going on? Not much. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about The Conjuring 3. Uh, and more importantly, we're going to be uh, talking about the story upon which it's based because it, it took place in 1981. And mm-hmm. we are going to be setting the record straight so you know what to actually believe uh, the film just was released on June 4th in, on HBO Max and in theaters, so hopefully you got a chance to see it. But if you didn't, don't worry. We're going to warn you before we start talking spoilers, and you'll have an opportunity to pause the show and come back to it at some other point. <laughs> okay. Uh, but before we move on with the rest of the show, it is time for our new segment. Well, that's what I heard. <laughs> Look, we're not infallible. Sometimes I may make a mistake. Sometimes Ray is completely bull- <laughs> and sometimes both occur during the same episode. So this is our opportunity to look back on a past episode and make corrections, I guess you'd say, if necessary. And sometimes we learn about those corrections from listeners. Oh. Uh, we heard this from oh. our listener on Facebook, Lucy Webb, oh. who commented in the rumpus room. And if you if you're not, if you're a listener to the show and you want to be able to join the conversation about the episodes and even offer suggestions for future episodes. Join our group on our page. The page is 1980s. Now, uh, join uh, the rumpus room there, and we'll let you in. Anyway, Lucy writes, anyone else in their cars this morning just screaming, Eagle Fang, Eagle Fang? <laughs> no, just me. Of course, she's referring to last week's episode when yeah. neither Ray nor I, the only two members of this show who've seen Cobra Kai in its entirety, could remember the name of uh, Johnny's new dojo. Yeah, yeah, I was kicking myself right after the show because I remembered as soon as we were done. It's like, of course, after you hear it, you think, of course, it had to be something that wasn't anatomically correct. Yeah. Because they do give him a hard time about that. I remember on the show. That was pretty funny. Well, I have to say, I haven't encountered it yet in the show. And I saw the post and I'm like, what is she talking about? And it took me a minute. To, re- to see the fangs, and oh. I thought, wait. It took you a minute to realize that eagles don't have fangs, you mean? Yeah, I had to really, yeah, think. Another point about our last week's episode, where we also discussed, uh, let's see, what did we discuss last week in decision? What was last week's episode about? The power. Oh, yeah. That's of right. the 1980s, yep. Right, power of 1980s pop culture. Ray remarked that he thought he had recalled that uh, one particular network had actually gone off the air encouraging people to uh, go out and play, or children to go outside and play. And of course, I played my liar button because he had no nothing to back it up. He said it may have been a dream. I don't remember saying it like that. I'm pretty sure I said it was. I'm pretty sure I nailed it. And then, you, yeah, and then you said it's not necessarily based in factors, or, or maybe been something I made up or something like that. Regardless, it turns out it's true. Uh, the Worldwide Day of Play is actually an annual event designed to designed to encourage children and parents to turn off the televisions. That it was kicked off by Nickelodeon. On October 2nd, 2004, when they went off the air from noon till 3 p.m. Eastern and just had a a graphic on the screen that encouraged kids to go outside and play. And this is during hours when they typically have about one and a half million viewers 
between 6 and 11 watching the show. And this is something that's continued. In fact, it'll be this year, some date in September. Anyway, so um, I couldn't find a clip of anyone saying, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) from the 1980s that I could use. Ray, is that what you were imagining and remembering? Yeah, that's exactly what I remembered. And so this is just a partial because you made it sound like they did this on a regular Mm. basis. Um, I also made it sound like this was for 24 hours, but who's keep, I don't fact check anything I say. Now I remember. I take it all back. That's right. Thank you, Kat. It's not even a partial. It's a partial nothing. You're getting part of zero. Yeah, technically, I think I thought this happened in the 80s and it was 24 hours, yes. but I think I, I thought it was Nickelodeon. I was just off by two decades and a couple of right. 20 hours or so. And that was... Well, that's what I heard. I like that. I do. I like that as a segment. Let's get caught up on the 1980s news. Hey, today in 1980s news, according to NBC, the critics of Duran Duran were wrong. So uh, recently on uh, May 23rd, Duran Duran performed at the Billboard Music Awards. Did you guys check out the uh, Billboard Music Awards or at least see Duran Duran playing their segment uh, multiple times i watched oh. the video multiple times yeah i watched it what did you think do they think they sounded as good as they, they did in the 1980s yes just as amazing they did a few songs from back then and then they did leading up to their new song that's that's uh, invisible which is a single off their upcoming album future past which arrives on october 22nd the way nbc news discusses it at the time in the 1980s a lot of critics dismissed uh, duran duran as just another boy group even though they had some uh, musical chops, but they were just, you know, likely to be a fad that would fade out just like any other. But seeing them perform now 40 years later at the Billboard Music Awards with a new single, it seems like they've outlasted any of the criticism uh, from long ago. Their essence is still there. Yeah, I didn't even know that they were still putting out albums until I saw this news studio or news story. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I have to say, um, the live performance of Rio, Invisible, and Hungry Like the Wolf was really good. I actually liked it, the the live version of Invisible, better than the video version. Hmm. Okay. And actually, the other song was Notorious. Was Whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fact. But because I knew both bookends, I think it made the, the middle song better. All right. So maybe if they could go back and do the video again, they could play a little bit of Notorious and Hungry mm. Like the Wolf. Mm-hmm. Make it more palatable for Ray. <laughs> Didn't they look yeah. really well, happy when they, they were singing did. Hungry Like the Wolf? Yeah. They did. Like, uh, that's one of my all-time favorite songs, even though I'm not a big Duran Duran fan. I love right. that song. I think they were sensing everyone's happiness. They're like, they're back, baby. And they're like, we never left. <laughs> yeah. They uh, never left. And I have to tell you, yeah. Simon Le Bon, yep. he still has his wiggle. He, <laughs> you know. I didn't notice. Oh, he was wiggling. I'll find, I'll find the, the time marker. Uh, you're going to make a gif of him wiggling and share it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, you, and Ray, yeah. So they had, a, as Ray points out, they also had a music video that they released for Invisible, which actually was created by an artificial intelligence called Huxley. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad to have read that because when I first saw the video and didn't know that, I was like, who made this? Like, what madman came up with this it's just i don't know made me feel uncomfortable and it's disturbing yeah. to watch it's, yeah like i, I didn't like yeah. the video yeah me no. and, I, and i think the video distracted from the song yeah mm-hmm. but the song mm-hmm. itself i thought it sounded and I, I read some folks just you know I, I don't i didn't think i read any uh formal criticisms you know from rock music critics but some folks just posting on different duran duran fan sites or uh, facebook pages saying that 
oh, they never evolve. They still sound like the 1980s. You know, they're hanging on to their fame of, you know, decades ago. And I thought, yes, thank God. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad right? this song sounds like it's from the 1980s, which yeah. I think it does. Yes, I'm kind of like a prodigal daughter with them. Like I was a super fan. And then, you know, just got into listening to other kinds of music. Yep. And, but I, when I listen to their more recent things, I'm like, wow, that's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's new, but it's great. And it still has their... Uh, their alchemy. Yeah. And I think if I wasn't a new, new 1980s music so well, I think I would just think this sounds modern and good. How would it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Future Past, which I mentioned will be released in October, will feature production from a number of well-known artists, including Giorgio Moroder, who was also a big name from the 1970s and 1980s, the uh, mentor of Harold Faltemeyer, and also created a number of hits throughout our favorite decade. <laughs> in other 80s news, uh, on June 1st, which was the last day of filming of Thor 4, Chris Hemsworth did what he does best. He showed off his massive muscles. Uh, he actually <laughs> shared a photo uh, with him and uh, Taika Waititi, the, uh, the uh, director of the film. Uh, and in the, the caption, he wrote, it's National Flex Day, so I thought this super relaxed photo was appropriate. Of course, he's not relaxed at all. He looks all oiled up and, you know, <laughs> what's the word when veins are popping out? Uh, vascular? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I've seen the behind the scenes when they need to take photos like this or shoot close-ups of these guys, they do like a bunch of push-ups or lift weights. And then they're like, all right, go. Someone sprays them with a bottle full of, you know, cocoa butter, cocoa butter. Someone cocoa butters them up like a corn, a cob on a, in a barbecue on a summer day. <laughs> but the photo caught Hulk Hogan's attention because if you recall, Hemsworth will be playing Hulk Hogan in the upcoming biopic. Uh, Hogan is uh commented a number, a number of times on the fact that Hemsworth will be portraying him during his uh, Hall of Fame wrestling career. Hogan responded to the picture saying, quote, my brother has that Hogan pump on, Jack. Looks like he could <laughs> slam Andre, brother. Now, right, can you do a Hogan impersonation? Uh, can you? All you have to do is just go, brother, brother. You just got to say it a little, <laughs> okay. little deeper. My brother has a Hogan pump on. Looks like he could slam Andre, brother. Yeah, you, you got to go back and you got to watch some of the old videos. Mm, yeah. It's almost as if William Shatner and him have that same stutter effect mm. going on when they talk oh. a little bit. Oh, yeah. Take some unusual pauses, like mid-sentence. Yeah, not as bad as Shatner, but oh. there's a little bit there. Mm. And and brother is like everything. That's his word. Without yeah. that. Yes. Yeah, mm. without that. It's kind of how you use the F word. Right. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Uh, earlier this year, Hogan told ESPN that he was surprised to find Chris Hemsworth is taller than he expected. Uh, saying that, quote, he's taller than I thought he was, around six foot three or six foot four. He's in crazy shape. I keep on telling him that the only problem is that he's not really good looking enough to play me in the movie. End quote. <laughs> Which is funny. Yeah, that and, is funny. <laughs> you know, we talked about this when it first was announced, and I thought Hemsworth is definitely the wrong person for him because he doesn't have the build. He's too mm. short. I mean, you know, Hogan's being generous. I guess they'll cast a bunch of smaller actors around him and make him seem bigger. But Hogan's like 6'8 or 6'7. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's, well, they exaggerate a little bit. I think he is, though, 6'6, six, 6'7. Six, six, but really, most of the actors are going to be smaller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Chris is getting jacked for this. So. Y- yes. I was shocked to see that photo, how much larger he looks compared to the prior, uh, you know, Avengers films. It's going to be harder for him to sound like Hogan than look mm-hmm. like Hogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to sound like me doing it now, like a goof. I mean, how do you avoid it not seeming like a sketch? <laughs> well, he has an accent. <laughs> well, well, So he not yeah, only does he have to try true. and sound like Hogan, yeah. he's got to try and ignore his own accent. Mm. You, you can't go out there and be like, yeah, we're going to wrestle, mate. <laughs> you know, you just can't do that. <laughs> you you got to get it right. 
Well, you know, so he is Australian, as you guys know. He mm-hmm. he does like an English accent when he's playing Thor, sort of. I don't, mm-hmm. you're right. Yeah, I don't, kind of. I don't <laughs> know if he's doing but an accent at all. He sounds godly. <laughs> yeah, he does. He sounds like Thor. Have we seen him in a film do an American accent? I don't, I don't know. Well, wait, I saw that movie on Netflix. Oh, uh, Extraction? Extraction? Yeah. Hmm. hmm. I don't recall if he had an accent. I don't think he would have. I didn't watch it long enough to hear him talk. Okay. <laughs> oh. But, uh. Mm-hmm. Hogan is a, a, a an executive producer on this thing, so we're not going to see any of the dirt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this thing's only going to focus on the rise of Hogan yep. mm. and him at the tippy top of the 80s. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to get any of those juicy other things. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's fine, because those were actually documented on video already. Exactly. So right. I'm sure you can <laughs> Google that somewhere. Well, I love Chris Hemsworth as the choice here, hmm. and um seems all good to me so far. Yeah, we don't know when it's coming out, but I guess we'll find out. Okay, hey, in other 1980s news, uh, this comes to us via the wrap. Fox shared its first teaser for its Fantasy Island reboot, previewing Rosalind Sanchez as the descendant of the original Mr. Rourke. Uh, were you guys a, a fan of mm-hmm. Fantasy Island? Did you watch it when you were a kid? I love the intro. That's it. <laughs> mm. That's all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you like watching Tattoo go up and ring the bell? Yeah, that's the best. You know, and <laughs> Ricardo comes out and he's got that awesome thing he mm-hmm. does at the beginning where he's talking. Yeah. You know, because his voice is just amazing. And then Tattoo is up there yelling about planes. <laughs> yeah. I love that part of the show. But after that, I was I lost interest. I just remember huh. it was on after the love boat. Yeah. A little bit past my bedtime, but I used to sneak out and watch it. I think there was even a crossover between The Love Boat and Fantasy Island at once. Oh, my God. Did it dock there? Yeah, I think oh so. Yeah. <laughs> I got to look that up, but I'm pretty sure. Well, hit the liar button. No. All right. Now I'm going to Google it right now then. See, Love Boat, Fantasy <laughs> Island. Crossover. I didn't even have to type the whole thing. Oh. November right. 22nd, 1980 is when it aired. That show also creeped me out too, right? That was kind of- Which one? <laughs> A fantasy island more than the other one. Yeah, the fantasy island. Like what uh, what what is the deal with that? Was he he had some kind of powers or did the island have powers? Yeah, I think it was the island itself. Was he a prisoner of the island made to, you know, sort of uh, lead these people uh, uh, into these situations? I think he's more like a voodoo guy. Oh. Where like he knows what the island is doing. Mm-hmm. And he's just like he's like the crypt keeper. He's just taking you through what you need to do. And then he would explain at the end, a tattoo, how, mm-hmm. you know, this person came here cause they thought they wanted this and they left with what they really needed. And then tattoo would be like, yeah, boy, we got it. And that was the show. <laughs> do you remember though that, um, I don't know how many episodes it was, but I recall because I was a big fan of Roddy McDowell because Roddy mm-hmm. McDowell was on Batman 66 as bookworm. Mm-hmm. Roddy McDowell played Cornelius on a Oof. planet of the apes. Is that his name? That sounds weird. Cornelius. Yeah. Cornelius. And on Fantasy Island, he appeared occasionally as essentially like the devil. He lived like, he emerged from like a cave on Fantasy Island. Instead of wearing an all white suit, he had an all red suit on. And he would do like, make the people experience bad things or something. I mean, because often on Fantasy Island, the things they experienced anywhere were creepy. But Mm -hmm. this guy was like just straight out evil. I'm pretty sure he was the devil. So would that make Mr. O'Rourke an angel? Man, I I still think you're dealing with a, a, a voodoo and a devil. I yeah. think that's what you got going on on, on the island yeah. because why else would Tattoo be there? He's like a prisoner. <laughs> what does that have like, to do with anything? Like, I imagine, like, he's so excited every time the plane comes. Yeah. Because he thinks he's going to get to leave. 
know. <laughs> He's the one ringing the bell. He's land here and save me. Help, help me, SOS. <laughs> the show, original show was created by Gene Levitt, of course, uh, and ran from 77 to 84. Starred Ricardo Montalban, as you mentioned, as Mr. Rourke and Hervé Villachez as uh, his assistant tattooed. Folks who welcomed on the island had these fantasies, but they didn't always go the way you imagined they would. It was brought back in 1998 for a, a one-season uh, sort of revival of it. And, of course, there was a horror movie by uh, produced by Blumhouse, I believe, on, in 2020, which I was interested in seeing, but I actually didn't want up seeing. A horror movie? Of Fantasy Island? Yeah. yeah. Have you seen it, Ray? No, I haven't bothered to watch it yet. I, I'm not a big fan of remakes and reboots of horror yeah, franchises. Yeah. Yep. So they're very low on my mm. list of things to get to. Now, this yep. one is going to be set in the present day. And as I mentioned before, Rosalind Sanchez is going to be playing the descendant of Mr. Rourke. So it's, you know, I guess you could say it's a reboot, right, of sorts, but also it, it maintains the prior story, you know, as part of the continuity. So it's sort of a sequel as well. And we'll get to see it in August. On August 10th is the when the show is set to air. I'll check it out. I was a fan of the original show. Yeah. Well, I'll that gives me enough time to go back and rewatch the original. Yeah. And then I can judge the new one. Right. Just the introduction of each episode, <laughs> right? <You> just- <laughs> in other 1980s news, uh, Kevin Smith, you're going to have to help me out with this one because this is kind of confusing to me, right? It's a small detail, but Kevin Smith, who's the producer of the new Netflix He-Man series, has seen the first trailer for the Masters of the Universe Revelation, and he is pleased. On a recent episode of his podcast, Fat Man Beyond, Smith said, quote, I saw the trailer, which is phenomenal. I, like, I know this series in and out, and it made me go back and start watching it again. So I, I can't say when you're going to see it, but if I'm seeing it now, then it's coming fairly soon, end quote. Now, here's my first question. Isn't he producing it? Well, how can he not? How is he surprised by what it looks like, or doesn't know when it's coming out? Well, yes, he's heavily involved with this, but the animation studio is the one uh-huh. doing all that. He, you know, he's probably there going, "Okay, say the lines again, whatever," hmm. and working on the storylines because he had to write this. You know, they had to write this thing. Sure. So, but forget all that. This okay. is a continuation of the original. Right. Now, my concern is mm-hmm. Mr. Smith has never done anything G-rated in his whole life. Oh. Hmm. Okay. So the problem I'm having here is, like, me and my kid watch He-Man together a lot. Because he oh, really cool. likes it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when we get to the end and he goes, what's next? And I'm like, God damn it, Mr. Smith. <laughs> you, you had to go and make this thing rated R because he's talking about storylines of, hmm. you know, personal conflict and... Hmm. inner demons and I'm like oh my god he just took this thing and made it into an adult cartoon I'm like yes son of a I love you to death Kevin Smith but more importantly there's four voice actors on this thing that I'm super excited about I'm sure you already know Mark Hamill as Skeletor yes I saw that and uh Jason Mewes is Stinkor the the skunk (laughs) character Snoochie Boochies Henry Rollins is playing Triclops Mm. And the original Skeletor, Alan Oppenheimer, is now Mossman. Oh, I had no idea about that. Dude's 91 yep. years old, did the voice for Mossman on this thing. You wow. know, the original Skeletor. I, I think he may have also been the original voice of Mossman, actually. Because he did a number of voices in addition to Skeletor. I don't remember which offhand, but... I don't know. But yeah, there's a ton of stars in this thing, but those are the only ones I really care about. I loved him as Skeletor. If he's around still doing voice work, he should just be Skeletor. Like I said... 
If he yeah. can't do a G-rated He-Man. Well, now back to that though. I mean, your only clue is him talking about it, you know, these sort of comments he's made about uh, this possible storyline, but that could be handled in a, in a G or PG way. Well, we'll have to see. Didn't it say something about it being kind of geared more for adults to enjoy? Am I yes. remembering that? Okay. Right? Absolutely. It was, he said okay. it's geared towards the kids who grew up with it. Ah, okay. that's what you're thinking. I see. So I think that's his, clever way of getting out of going yeah i i turned he-man into basically adult anime porn hmm. i think that's hmm. what he did kind of like what rob zombie's about to do to the monsters uh. we'll have to see cat ray, ray yeah. just mentioned he watched he-man or watches it today i watched it as a kid I haven't seen it in well i watched an episode of it probably within the last year did you ever watch mm-hmm. he-man when you were a kid or i did not watch it i yeah. know of it i've heard yeah. all the names i believe my brother. The one with the perfect trapper keeper? Yes. The owner of the, trapper, <laughs> the perfect trapper keeper. All right. So your brother watched it. That's cool. So uh, even though Kevin Smith said that he didn't know when it was uh, about to come out, we have finally seen the uh, first teaser uh, for Masters of the Universe Revelation because it came out just a few days after he made that uh, pronouncement. What did you think about the new artwork, Ray, since you actually were a fan of the show? Uh, I actually like the new artwork. Okay. I think it looks cool. He-Man's a lot more buff. Yeah. And Skeletor actually looks really cool. I like the way they did his face. Looks almost a little too detailed for me. But Skeletor does look like something off of a heavy metal album. Yeah, and technically He-Man looks like he could be on the cover of a Man of War album too. Which, yeah, yes. Well, and the whole cast of, of uh, Bad Guys is like a Guar album, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, technically if this yeah. thing is just a heavy metal version of He-Man, oh. I'm, all, I'm back He's all back in. He's back in. All right, okay. Ah. All right. <laughs> Well, we will find out exactly what it is when the when part one of the new series is released on July 23rd. Oh, that gives me a little time to watch some old He-Man. Do it. And then I'll watch some new He-Man. Yeah. You know, expand my horizons. And, and, and I'm, try, I'm trying not to seem sexist by saying, or did you like She-Ra instead, maybe? Maybe you liked <laughs> She-Ra when you were a kid. Because that was for girls. I didn't happen to watch that. I was a, like a Scooby-Doo. And- yes. And the uh, Super Friends. Yeah. Super Friends, yeah. Uh, He-Man has Tila, and she was a big part of the show. Yeah. So they, they had a, a warrior girl on that thing back in the 80s. I said I wasn't trying not to make it seem sexist. <laughs> now that we're focusing on it- It's not sexist. Bringing attention to gender, I don't know. I don't know how to win. I don't know how to I'm win. I'm saying the know. 80s did a much better job of having characters on the show. You don't even remember- mm. Because they were just as good as all the other characters. Wow. Tila was just as important as He-Man on that show. Hmm. All right. Good to know. All right. So there's there's girl power on He-Man. There's the most egalitarian nonsense I've ever heard Ray say. And I only mean nonsense because he doesn't believe it. But here we go. That was, and I'm going to end it real quick before I can say anything. That was 1980s news. If you like the show, and, and maybe you like it because it's been really long. Some people like to listen <laughs> while they exercise and run. Mm-hmm. But maybe they're like, I got to get off this treadmill. Won't this frigging news segment end? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, but if you do, subscribe or tell somebody yeah, well, about it. Do something. We made them be healthier. They mm-hmm. exercised longer. Yeah. Get off the treadmill and go work the arms. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. So today on the show, we're going to be speaking about The Conjuring 3, the film that just opened in theaters and on HBO Max on June 4th. Uh, hopefully you've seen it. If you haven't, all right, so press pause for now and come back to this at some point because there's going to be spoilers from here on out. Mm-hmm. And uh, to keep our thoughts straight as we discuss the film, we're going to be talking about it as follows, okay? Ray, pay attention. <laughs> First, we're going to give our high-level thoughts about the film. 
Uh, then we're going to compare the screen story to the actual story that occurred uh, in the 1980s. Specifically, we're going to talk about the possession of David, the exorcism of David, the possession of Arnie, and the murder of Alan Bono. And finally, we're going to chat about some of the completely fabricated nonsense that was uh, crafted specifically for the movie. And if we have time, and I hope we have time, we'll discuss the credibility of the real Ed and Lorraine Warren, the demonologists uh, that are, you know, at the heart of all these stories. Okay, so first, just some details. It was directed by Michael Chavez and written by David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick. And of course, it stars Patrick Wilson and Vera Formiga as the demonologist Ed and Lorraine Warren. So uh, we know that Ray is a huge fan of horror films. Kat, you are not, but you were brave enough to uh, watch this one. What are your thoughts about the film? It was okay. It wasn't what I'd call a spectacular movie, but um, there were some things that stood out to me that were especially freaky. A mm. whole bone cracking yeah, that sounds, and yeah. limb distortion thing mm. that mm-hmm. that made an impression on me. <laughs> so you were, were you ever actually you were disturbed? Were you ever scared at times? Was it scary at all? I had some jump scares. Oh, okay. I did. I yeah. did, and um, I watched it with uh, with Scott. And, you know, he was sort of trying to freak me out a little bit. Because you could tell, you know, the music <laughs> He's waiting changing. for them to did something leap out so he could shove you. <laughs> yes, he did. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yep. And one time I actually did jump. I, now I forget which part it was, but I, yep. I reacted to the movie, not yeah. to Scott. But I did. I wouldn't. I, I enjoyed it. It was interesting. It was definitely yep. interesting. And I knew ahead of time because of Ray mentioning that it was based on uh, yes. real life event. Yeah. Does that make it seem extra scary to you? Hmm. Especially when you don't know at first what's true and what's not true. No, not extra scary. It made me think. Like hmm. I, it, it just made me more um, like be, be processing yep. things more. Hmm. Like I was waiting. I was waiting for the courtroom to show up. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, when, oh, when's the courtroom talk about that, yeah. that kind of thing? <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> what did you think, Ray? What was your uh, initial impressions of it? Uh, the opening scene is fantastic. Okay. Mm. Um, usually the Conjuring movies start slow. Okay. Mm-hmm. They build the suspense and the horror and the, the jump scares mm-hmm. to the point where you're excited and everything's cool. This one came out of the gate mm. with the best part of the whole movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I think was a really bad decision. But yeah. Mm. Oh. Now, the actors who play Ed and Lorraine yep. are fantastic in these movies. Mm-hmm. But I could do without the love story mm. in my horror movies. Yeah. Like you can you can be in love, mm-hmm. but I don't need to know it every ten huh. seconds. Yeah, I was wondering if they did that in the other films, because it happened often, you know. They did not. And then there were some scenes that just boggled my mind. Like what? Like the trope of Ed smashing all the sh- and Lorraine's like, but don't, you know, I, you know, I love you, I love you. I'm like, yeah, get the shit out of here. This is horrible. <laughs> I was wondering about that when you were just saying you didn't like the the romance part of it. Maybe they specifically built that in because she had to have a way to pull him out of his possession. This is where they should have been doing courtroom stuff. Mm. Like instead of a love story, this should have been flashbacks between actual stuff that was cool and courtroom stuff. Mm-hmm. Or put some courtroom stuff in there. Because I was highly, I'm sure like you guys were, I was really disappointed with no courtroom stuff. It was pretty minimal. And the other thing 
that I really disliked about this movie was it yep. did not feel like the 1980s. There were there were like two or three things that I made note of. The the waterbed, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's 80s. And wow. did you see the boy had a light bright next oh, to his yeah, bed? Oh yeah, right. Yeah. And, what it said and on, it's, oh, it said David's song. room on it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And and some of the songs were um, you know, evocative of the 80s, yeah. Well, but would, yeah, there there wasn't a lot identifying it at the end. I think we, we talked about last week, they avoided it. They intentionally avoided it. They said, you know, yeah. and thinking about it, when you transitioned from the 70s to the 80s, did you really notice it was the 80s by then? And this is set in the very early 1980s. Right. Okay, here's another problem I have with this. Okay, the <laughs> waterbed. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, the waterbed they said was left there, right? Mm. All right, should we get into this kind of stuff? Yeah, well, I'm going to get into it. Well, we, I, know. Okay. <laughs> I know, but don't jump by around. 1986, All right, by 1986, by 1986, right. only 20% of beds in America yep. were water beds. Okay. So we're supposed to believe that this really expensive bed was just left in this place and a witch crawling under the house yeah. and put oh, a thing okay, on okay. there. Okay, okay. I said we were going to an orderly way. There. Ridiculous. Remember. Ridiculous. <laughs> For me, the film, I agree with both you guys. As far as horror movies go, I really didn't think it was scary. And mm-hmm. I thought, I liked the kind of aspect of it that it was like a crime investigation, more like a crime mm-hmm. thriller than anything but with mm-hmm. paranormal, you know, aspects. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, cool. If these films are like this, I'm going to go back and watch the others. And then I was reading criticism of this film where people are outraged because it's nothing like the others, which are more like haunted yeah. house horror films. And I was like, oh, okay, right. well, that's cool. So I did start watching mm-hmm. the other films too, because I like these mm-hmm. characters. Um, mm-hmm. Although we can get into the real Ed and, Ed and Lorraine, I guess, in a bit. And <laughs> yeah. Why we but shouldn't I, like them maybe, but. I didn't hate the movie. I, I, right. It mm-hmm. sounds like I did. Yeah. If this was the first mm-hmm. movie in this yeah. franchise, I would have liked it a lot, but it's not. It's you the know, third. You remind me. I, I also enjoyed it. I thought it was enjoyable. One of the things I liked about it, even though I'm not a religious person, I thought it was kind of cool that it's like, and I want to get into this at some point in a little bit here, talking about some of the specifics, that mm-hmm. like Christianity is like a superpower, you know, where <laughs> like they could wield the power, the power of Christ compels you, you know, and stuff would happen. That's pretty cool. It's like watching a Marvel movie, but, you know, yeah. instead of the power yes. coming from, you know, Asgard, it's from Jesus, I guess. Yeah. Speaking of which, though, you know, this is another reason. I don't think this director actually knew what the hell the 80s were because hmm. they intentionally said they tried not to make it feel like the 80s, yeah. but they mm-hmm. threw an exorcist reference in when the dude okay. walks okay. up. Okay, all right, all right. Hang on, hang on. I'm sorry, you're right. All right, let's get into it. Let's get into it. We can throw all that stuff in there. All right, so let's just talk, let's just go beat by beat here, I guess. You know, and there's just only a few really major points in the film that are connected to anything even remotely in reality that we can comment on. And then we can probably comment widely that they made the rest of it up. I mean, a lot of it is just mm-hmm. made up. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just start at the beginning and then we can get some of the things that Ray's uh, complaining about here. So the possession <laughs> of David, as Ray alluded to, the, there's a waterbed in the film that mm-hmm. supposedly the prior owners of the home left behind. Um, there's a scene there where the boy is on the bed, you know, having fun as any kid would finding a waterbed. My my cousin had one. It was like, wow, this is so cool. And then I had to sleep in it during the sleepover. And I was like, this is terrible. Who can sleep on this? I'm getting seasick during my sleep. This is terrible. <laughs> but this kid, of course, uh, we see, it's a pretty creepy scene. We actually see there's a, sort of looks like an old man, with, you know, sunken sort of eyes is inside the waterbed. And then when the boy goes to sort of inspect what's happening, of course, because that's what you do when you see a human inside of a waterbed. Let me check this out. <laughs> a hand comes around. bursting through it. And that, that's what we're to understand is, you know, when he was uh, actually then gets possessed by this demon that inhabited the uh, the waterbed. Mm-hmm. Um, in reality, as Ray's pointing out, in reality. <laughs> so in an interview with Insider, the director, Michael Chavez, Chavez said that 
The backstory behind the scene was that the previous, like I mentioned, the previous owner left a bed there. In reality, there was a, a strange stain on the bed, and it was believed that that was the origin of the possession. They actually switched it to a waterbed, though, because after the writer found out about that story, he thought it would be really cool to have a waterbed in that in that scene instead because of, you know, again, how we were saying they were sort of becoming popular in the 1980s. But also, uh, it was one of the first, one of the first horror films Michael Chavez had seen was Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. Mm -hmm. And there's a similar scene in that where the character of Joey, he sees a, a model, a very attractive woman in the water. And of course, then he's drawn to that. Of course, again, look, if it's an attractive woman or an old man, run, <laughs> yeah. run. They should not be living in a bed. Then, but when the bed bursts yeah. open in the Fred in the Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddie is breaking out of the bed and captures uh, Joe. Mm -hmm. So we're we're on to the possession mm -hmm. in real life. Yeah, the kid was possessed by like forty something demons. All right, 40. stop there. You just Ooh. said in real life the kid was possessed. I take issue with that already. What in real life Lorraine Warren <laughs> said he was possessed by right, forty three demons. Yes, <laughs> yes. Also in real life. David, the young boy he was supposedly possessed, he has never said he was possessed. And mm. his older brother, a Craig, actually came out and said he wasn't possessed. He was just mentally ill. And his parents had worked with the Warrens to, to concoct the whole story as a way to make money and ultimately get Arnie Johnson right. off the crime he's uh, charged with. Mm -hmm. About the possession, Lorraine Warren claimed that David, while he was possessed, and this will become mm -hmm. important later on in the story, that David growled, recited Bible passages or passages from Paradise Lost <laughs> because a poem by an epic poem by John Milton, who was a human on earth is equivalent <laughs> to mm -hmm. biblical scripture somehow. Um, and also that uh, David had levitated. Mm -hmm. um, of course, mm -hmm. in the film, as Kat pointed out and Ray, and Ray mentioned, there's a lot of bone crunching and uh, body contortions that happen instead, in particular during the exorcism, which we can move on to now mm -hmm. in the movie. A, a main point of the, during the exorcism, of course, is that um, Arnie Johnson, who later commits the, uh, the murder, that is the subject of the, the, the crime of the film and in re reality, taunts the demon saying, you know, mm -hmm. you should possess me instead. You want to pick on somebody, pick on me or whatever. Yep. Uh, and in the film, we see clearly that David sort of gets clear eyed and changes. And now Arnie, I mean, how did, I don't know how anybody missed it. His eyes turned like black, uh, you know, his right. <laughs> and uh, he's suddenly like staring <laughs> off. Uh, and now we're to understand that now Arnie's mm -hmm. possessed, right? Uh, according to actual accounts. Yeah. This is true that he did say, "Yes, hop on out of that kid and come, right. come getting me, you big old bad demon, you." <laughs> what's 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 strange though is, or, or sort of what uh, is that you know, and you could see there's several accounts. You know, these folks told this story many times to different people in, in the in the decades since. And one of the accounts of it was an early 2000s uh, Discovery Channel series that they had called A Haunting which I think, mm -hmm. I think every episode was based on an Ed and Lorraine story. And I think they were even producers or worked on the show. One of them is about uh, this case of Arnie Johnson. Arnie is one of the people that's interviewed. Debbie's interviewed. Lorraine Warren appears on it. When they talk about it, Arnie never talks about himself being possessed. Mm. He does say he taunted the demon. He never says he got possessed. Instead, he mm -hmm. says after he taunted the demon, a demon <laughs> crashed his car while he was driving mm. it. And what's also interesting about that show is he never mentions that he killed anybody. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of weird, I think. So get it, brushed under the rug. <laughs> just thinking about exorcisms generally, like I was saying earlier, and I was reading about exorcisms, right? Because I found this crazy statistic. 
Because I thought, this was this just a phenomenon in the 1980s because of the satanic panic that people believe this? Uh, I read a story in The Atlantic from 2018 that, that referenced a statistic that in uh, Indianapolis, Father Vincent Lampert, the official exorcist for the archdiocese there, received just in 2018... 1,700 requests for exorcisms. Wow. One of the things I learned in that piece was that one of the things the priests do during the rite of exorcism is establish the rules of engagement with the demon. Among those are, demon, you have to tell me your name. You have to respond to me when I ask you to, and you have to leave this person when I tell you to leave. What? <laughs> and the reason the demon has to listen to them, according to the churches, because the priest is a, you know, an env- envoy of emissary of God. Well, they like to put up a good fight, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do I even ask you at this point, do you guys believe in this kind of stuff? I, I don't want to dismiss anybody who does. Yeah, it's, it's not uh-huh. something that I um, mm. put much uh, credibility towards. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know why I don't know why a demon who does whatever the hell it wants to, no pun intended, suddenly has to follow the rules because the priest. Hey, those are the rules, man. It's just like baseball or or cornhole. You got rules to the game. Dungeons and Dragons, right? That has rules right. you got to follow. All right. There are rules. Yeah, they're rolling. They're doing a save versus a whatever. So I get ask uh, what's his name, Jeff Goldblum, the DC is on this. <laughs> yeah. So in both reality and in the film. Arnie Johnson, at some point after the exorcism, goes on to murder his <laughs> his landlord, essentially, who's also the the employer of his girlfriend, Debbie, who's the brother of David, the possessed boy. In the movie, Arnie is alone with Bruno, who is the stand-in for the real-life Alan Bono. I'm assuming the family didn't sign off on yeah, this sure. version. Mm-hmm. I think they didn't sign off on it mm-hmm. because the movie version is complete bullshit compared to what actually <laughs> happened. <laughs> Yeah, that's you, you, you're probably right because, you know, the brother I mentioned that said this is a bunch of nonsense, he's not in this. Yeah. Right, there's no brother, yeah. Although David, like I said, David has never said he was actually possessed. And in 2007, he and Craig sued the publisher of the, the book version of the story when it was going to be reprinted. And, and they won. They, they, the author backed off and did not republish the book. Yeah, well, we're talking, there's a big difference between some dude writing a book it's yeah. going to make like a dollar. I see. And The Conjuring 3, which is going to make a billion dollars yeah. most likely. Yeah. And they're going to give you some of that. Yeah, that's true. There's a big difference. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to even fight over that. Why bother? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you just get your money. <laughs> yep, yep. So in the film, Arnie's alone with this character, that his victim. He sees him as a, a demon of sorts, right? Again, sort of like a, I don't remember exactly. It's sort of like an animal, sort of like a part man, part animal, I think. Sort of running at him with glowing eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and stabs him. And then um, I think moments later, I don't know if he never realizes what happened. I don't think it's just until moments later, he's found by the police walking alone in the road covered with blood. Mm-hmm. In reality, the story's a lot more complicated than this. Yeah. Oh boy. So him and his landlord are drinking at the bar in the afternoon. Yeah. And then they go back to fix the landlord's stereo. You know, I'm a professional drinker, so I know how this works. Fixing a stereo or <laughs> murder? No, uh, both actually. So, so Arnie obviously had more than he should have during oh, the see, day. Yes. And I don't know if you're familiar with the term blackout drunk, mm. where you function, but mm. you don't remember anything. Mm-hmm. I actually yeah. think this is what happened. Oh, okay. When they get back, um, yeah. I think his sister and his girlfriend are all there because the sister is... Works there too somehow. That's I don't right. remember exactly. It's Debbie and uh, Arnie's sister, Wanda, and Debbie's nine-year-old cousin, Mary, are there as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So 
yeah, the 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 landlord Bono or Bono, however he says it, <laughs> uh, gets touchy feely with the girls, and Arnie went into a blackout. Anarchy ensues, and he ends up dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things, and why I brought it up earlier, was you know by one of the accounts, Debbie says that uh, Johnson was growling like an animal, which was you know what she said was similar to her her, her little brother David when he was possessed. You know, during this uh, scene when he was attacking uh, Bono or Bono, mm-hmm. Bono, Sonny Bono, Bono, <laughs> must be Bono. Yes, it's got to be Bono. Yeah. But yeah, as Ray says, Johnson drew an, a, a knife, a pocket knife out, a five inch knife and, and stabbed uh, Bono repeatedly. He, he died mm-hmm. several hours later. And um, Johnson, similar to the film, however, they did find him at some point, you know, two miles away from the, the killing. Mm-hmm. saying he didn't remember what had happened. That sounds plausible to me, that theory. Well, you walk that blackout off and hmm. you're like, hey, where the hell am I? And another interesting thing is, is that the girls changed their story yep. after first interviewed. Mm-hmm. Originally, they said Arnie had the knife and then they changed their story to say Bono had the knife. Bono. Where are we going with here? Bono? I think Bono. <laughs> Sonny Bono, who was also Sonny, popular okay. at this time. All right. <laughs> okay, so because of Sonny Bono, he probably pronounced it Bono. Yeah. YouTube wasn't popular yeah, exactly. enough yet for him to change it. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so they changed their story because they talked to the Warrens, and now everybody's changing their stories. Which leads us mm-hmm. to the defense. You know, when Arnie has to now account for his crime, uh, his attorney, and, and not Johnson, not Arnie Johnson, his attorney asserts that he should uh, claim that he is not guilty by reason of demonic possession, which seems like by all accounts, the first time this has been alleged in court, and, and I went down this legal rabbit hole earlier today, which is, this is another thing that's <laughs> fascinating. I mean, if we had a different mm-hmm. podcast, maybe you just want to, guys just want to hang out. <laughs> this is so interesting to me, the history of... And this goes back to English common law, mm-hmm. uh, you know, asserting uh, innocence by uh, insanity <laughs> and, and similar defenses. Yeah. Uh, here, well, here's an interesting thing, okay? This is interesting to me. This is true in America still, in most states, I believe. There's something known as a deific, like deity, deific order, where if you go, if you believe sincerely that you did something, even as heinous as murder, because God told you to do it, you may be found not guilty. Now, you may be put in a mental institution for the rest of your <laughs> life, but you'll be found not guilty. And the reason why, by the way, is because uh, along with many crimes, in order to be found guilty of a crime, you had to have a certain state of mind. So a murder, you had to intend to murder somebody, right? You had to, And you had to know that it's, it's wrong to murder people. Mm-hmm. If you believe God told you to do it, honestly believe that you believe it was the right thing to do because God would never tell you something bad to do, right? So you Mm -hmm. can't possibly be guilty of murder, therefore. So check this out, though. If you go to court and say, the devil made me do it, (laughs) you can't, you don't get the same uh, consideration because you know the devil's a bad guy, so you should (laughs) have known it was wrong. Uh, Kind of crazy, right? Yes. (laughs) The attorney in the film must be convinced to take the case and offer a plea of not guilty by reason of demonic possession. And then mm-hmm. we see nothing more made of this in the court. In fact, right. you could almost assume between that and the end credits that maybe it, it swayed the court somewhat um, because even though he's found guilty and may serve mm-hmm. 10 to 20 years, he only serves, what is it, four or five years, right? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't a lot. Yeah. In reality, it's our understanding that the attorney working with the Warrens came up with this creative defense. 
that's very different. Yeah. Yes. The attorney in the movie was reluctant. She had to be convinced. And you will not find, and I can't find it, and found, I found the opposite, Arnie Johnson ever saying he was possessed or that he was possessed at the moment of the murder. Well, they had to back off that defense pretty quick anyways. Well, yeah, as you're alluding to, as soon as they asserted it in court, the judge said, eh, no, 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 we're not doing that. That's crazy. <laughs> You know, essentially saying that there was, there's no way to, for a jury to even weigh whether someone's possessed or not. Like, mm-hmm. what's the science behind that? We haven't, uh, you know, gotten that advanced as a culture yet. Mm-hmm. So you're right. So, so they shifted their their strategy to implying that he had uh, had to act, act in self-defense instead. Mm-hmm. Yes. In reality, the, the jury deliberates for 15 hours. And because they're not considering whether he was possessed or not, they do find him a guilty of first degree manslaughter which is a lesser charge. Um, he was sentenced to 10 to 20 years, and but he only served five years. So, all right, so that's the main points that they raise in the film that we could even talk about comparing to something in reality because the other stuff they just made up, mm-hmm. including the big bad in the film. Actually, her dad was creepier to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the, it makes no sense whatsoever. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so, so explain who it is before you talk about it, though. Um, it's the weird... Priesty guy's daughter. All right. So people might not actually have seen the film. If they're this far into this show, they've seen it. They may just listen to it. So in the film, when the Warrens are trying to figure out how this, why this boy was possessed and how to save him, it leads them to an old contact of theirs who's a priest who's now retired. Turns out Mm -hmm. this priest is as weird as they are because he's got a basement full of artifacts uh, that he collects and keeps locked away just like they do. You know, now theirs are Mm -hmm. from their past cases and some of them are to keep them out of from harming other people, you know, like Annabelle's locked in a little glass box. Mm-hmm. But he, he all, we ultimately find out big spoiler that his, because <laughs> his daughter grew up around all this occult objects and information, books, etc., She became fascinated with it to the point that she's the bad guy in the film. She winds up cursing before she curses the boy. She curses a young woman who gets murdered. Uh, and then she curses, uh, I don't know if she intends to curse the boy so much as she curses the house. I don't know if she had a personal vendetta, right? It was just, she was experimenting with the occult, it seemed like. Wrong place, wrong time. Wrong waterbed. From what I've seen, the curse had to involve a child, a lover, and something else. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's right. Totally missed that. So obviously you crawl under a house and just randomly put this thing under a waterbed in the house (laughs) that you don't know who's going to move in. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it'll be a kid. Sure, why not? Kids love waterbeds. And obviously- your your priest dad's going to make catacombs under his farmhouse yeah, yeah. for you to creep around in. Yeah, I forget why he explained, how he explained those were there. Uh, right. he, I don't yeah. think he explained that at all. I think it was just like, hey, you know what would look really cool? If there was some Da Vinci Code type <laughs> yeah. shit under his farmhouse. <laughs> I was thinking Da Vinci Code, yeah. And let's build an altar yeah. in one of the tunnels. It's like, come on, man. You'd have been better off just having it out in the barn. Come yeah. on. I, I did like, and again, I haven't finished the other films, but I did like, it just, it was, it was almost like Harry Potter in a sense, because they have the power mm-hmm. of Christ, which is like mm-hmm. magic in the movie. And she right. had the power of the devil, which was like magic to her, you know, where she could, mm-hmm. like she, she blows that smoke, like almost like a voodoo thing in, in Ed's face. And now mm-hmm. he becomes like a, like a golem where he's just going to yeah. go and murder, you know, whoever he sees and he goes after yeah. Lorraine. Yeah. But yeah, in reality, we don't even have, we didn't even talk about this, right? There wasn't, there was no witch. There was no witch. And in fact, <laughs> she used, in the movie, she had to place this little totem that she made, which clearly was made out of animal bones and some other things. Mm-hmm. It was under the waterbed. It was, they found it uh, connected with the, the girl who was murdered. And then Ed is ultimately uh, cursed 
because she has puts one in a flower uh, pot or flower vase, oh, some yeah, flowers yeah. she has delivered to their home, uh, you know, anonymously. So, yeah, none of that existed in reality. Although the Glatzels did claim that in the forest around their house, they did see what they thought were satanic symbols carved into some trees. My first question would be, how'd you know, how'd you know that was a satanic symbol? Aha. <laughs> and once again, they've said they made the whole thing up. So, well, Debbie and Arnie, ultimately maintained to their, you know, Debbie passed away just a short time ago. I think just, I think within a year or so. I think they still, main, they maintained the story was true. And of course the Warrens are no longer with us. And, you know, we could talk about how shady those two were, but. One part in the movie yeah. that I thought was like, really? Was when Lorraine was down with the witch yeah. in trouble and she starts shouting Ed's name. Oh yeah. And she didn't know he was there, right? She didn't know oh, did he was she? standing um, she's clairvoyant, <laughs> but she's also like ten feet under, you know, shale yes. and clay and dirt. And he's like, yes. "Huh?" He hears her through like a manhole cover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. There's, There's a right there. That's true. You could pick this movie apart all day long. When she's yeah. by the cliff and the arm comes up and grabs her, where oh, did yeah. that come yeah. from? Where'd the arm come from? Just out of nowhere. There was a lack of consistency, right? And he was about 30 feet away at that point, and he Superman dives all the way over there and grabs her. Yep. Like, come on. So, yes, Conjuring 1, amazing. Conjuring 2, good enough. Conjuring 3, <laughs> got to see it to, so you can see the next one, I guess. Oh, boy, they're going downhill. All franchises have this problem. Yeah. It's not a big deal. Yeah, and we know there's at least one other sequel coming. Maybe even two are planned at this point. But mm -hmm. in this film, there was a, they were going to have a after credits sort of teaser uh, that they decided that they shouldn't include. And we're not sure why. Well, maybe they watched the movie and decided, you know what? We better figure out what we're doing <laughs> before we tell them where we're going. Go back to the roots. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's figure out a better way. Let's go back to the haunted house. Let's do that. Now, this wasn't, this wasn't the first time that this story has been told in media. Like I, like I mentioned, there was a discovery slash travel channel uh, series that had included this among the many stories. There's been books written about it, uh, but there was also a 1983 NBC TV movie, which was made shortly after it, which covers roughly the same events as the, as the Conjuring 3, although they changed it quite a bit and they changed all of the names of the people, uh, including the fact that Arnie Johnson, that character, is instead called Kenny Miller, um, and he's played by a very young Post Friday the 13th. It's, uh, yeah, it's bacon, isn't Kevin it? bacon, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and instead of uh, having the Warrens as the investigators, they have an atheist reporter who's drawn into, you know, covering the trial and figuring out what happened, which was uh, played by Andy Griffith. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. Andy Griffith is hunting down uh, the possessed Kevin Bacon. If I told you that was a movie... And you had to tell me true or false. Come on. I, I think I'd say false. I would say absolutely true because Kevin Bacon is in so many movies. That's true. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, look, we could go on about the credibility of the Warrens at this point, but just Google it. These folks <laughs> yeah. were shady. Um, the short story is it seems like they feel like they missed out on making money off the Amityville horror because they weren't involved in that case, but they didn't see a dime off of the book or movie. Um, and so it seems like they sought to recreate a number of different similar stories to the one that's covered in Conjuring 3 and are covered in these films to try it again to finally succeed making some buck. It seems like they must be making, they must have made some coin off of these films because at least Lorraine, you know, lived to see some of them. Ed passed away in 2009, I think. Mm -hmm. um, that might've been before even the earliest of the films. 
Um, but Lorraine was involved in some of the films uh, until she, she died. Um, interesting, again, sort of along those lines, talking about being shady was, one of the things that uh, Lorraine had the, uh, the film studio put in their contract with her was that the films couldn't show her or her husband engaging in crimes, including, now this is what she wanted in the contract, including sex with minors, child pornography, prostitution, or sexual assault, that neither Ed nor Lorraine could be depicted as participating in an extramarital sexual relationship. Hmm. When Hollywood Reporter did a story on this, because it, it came out that uh, Ed had a relationship with a 15-year-old girl, who, uh, a high school student who was on the bus that he drove while still trying to make it as a demonologist. But uh, they showed this contract to mm. a talent attorney, Hollywood Reporter did, Jill Smith, and she said she's never seen anything like this ever, this kind of language. <laughs> like, it's like an admission mm. of guilt that you go to them and say, look, I don't know what you're going to find out about us, but this is what you can't write in the movie. <laughs> Don't look in that closet. <laughs> you know, when she read the script, you know, is there an alternate version where he's a, a pedophile as opposed to a guitar playing happy-go-lucky? Yeah. Hey, I'm going to save you from the yes. demons. Uh, <laughs> could you imagine that version? Imagine they were writing it and then they saw the, con hey, wait, we got a contract. <laughs> you See know. clause 2A. Uh, this is going to sound horrible. I'm going to say it anyways. Uh Hey, baby, you know, God is in my heart, but oh, no. the devil's in my pants. Oh, oh no. Oh. It's like the devil's, what is that? Do you have, hey, do you have any devil inside you? Would you like a little? Or what is that? Yeah. The devil's in the details. Cat cleans it up. Mm. So that's it. Hopefully you have a, a better sense of what actually occurred in 1981 as compared to what the filmmakers showed us. Uh, let us know your thoughts. What did you think about the film? Do you recall the, the actual story? Uh, maybe you remember when it remember it when it actually happened in, in the early 1980s. You can reach us on Facebook. Uh, we are 1980s now there, or you can go to our Facebook page 1980snow.com and send us a message via the uh, little form that's on the uh, uh, homepage there. And we will talk to you next time. Hey, you know what's cool? No, no, no. What? Nothing. Wait. Nothing is cool. You know what's cool? Bye. <laughs> we have proven we got to show that the Conjuring movies are cool. So, and they're fun to watch, know. even though they forgot to put the 80s mm. into the one set in the 80s. And <laughs> once again, they're going to the well that the 1980s provided for content today. Yep. All right. Hey, we will talk to you next time on 1980s Now. That's brisk, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to stick that in somewhere. It seemed like a good spot. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> <laughs>